Hello there listener. Since main theme of this episode is not directly related to Android, I'm not hoping that you're Android developers this time. My name is Artem Zinutilin and you're listening to The Context, a podcast about Rx Java, episode 3. First of all, I wanted to congratulate guest of previous episode, Mike Evans. He is now Google Developer Expert in Android. He received confirmation right after recording episode 2 and now you know that to become GDE you just need to use Gradle flavors and promote them. Also, as many of you noticed in previous episode, I didn't give Mike a chance to talk enough. I'm very sorry for that. I'll try to control myself better. Sorry again. Okay, so guest of this episode is David Karnak. Hi, David. Hi. David is also known as D in Twitter and GitHub, and David is one of the core developers of RxJava, library used by thousands of Android apps and thousands of JVM apps. I know him for discussions and code reviews in RxJava GitHub repository, and also he writes terrific posts about RxJava internals in his blog. David, can you please tell us a little bit about your background, where are you located, what is your main work, as far as I understand, you're in process of getting your PhD and something like this. I finished university in 2005 with master's degree of uh, mechanical engineering, but then I started to work for the Hungarian Academy of Sciences, where I do mainly software-related developments. Yes, I, I do my PhD, and I hope I can get my PhD this year. I'm very close to, to the end of the process. I live in Hungary, in Budapest, and I was never employed by Netflix. I, I'd like to put <laughs> this out. Yeah, this is, this is really important because initially I thought that you were employed by Netflix, but it looks like no. Okay, so uh, how you were involved into development of RxJava and can you please give a short explanation of RxJava from your point of view? I started reactive programming basically two years before Netflix came out with RxJava. I was following Eric Meyer directly and as many of you might know, Rx.net was the original uh, reactive programming library that came out in 2010. And at that time, nobody was really interested or making a move towards reactive programming in the JVM world. So I decided, why not port Rx.net into the, the Java language? And this became later in 2011, reactive for Java. Time passed and it seemed that nobody was really interested or, or really didn't seem to understand uh, these reactive concepts. Besides, at the time, the, the hype was more around Java 8 with its Lambda support. So at the time, the library was, wasn't really known and wasn't really useful for, for many of the persons. As time passed, 2013, late 2013, I suddenly received a question about what's the difference between Reactive for Java and Rx Java. That was the point when I, I recognized that, in fact, there is another library backed by a big name company that does or attempts to do the same 
thing as as my reactive for java library but of course they they started out fresh they, their feature support was less than that i had in my library and uh, frankly the solution decisions and other aspects were was uh, not quite up to my my liking so at that point i set aside my my feelings and pride and this and <laughs> decided to okay for once let's break the curse of java namely that for every task there is at least 20 libraries to do that same task and have one and single library reactive programming library in java and now there is a company as well so let's have it let's have our ex java the that library so i contacted the the, the owner ben christensen asked a few things about it and they started contributing some some ports from my old library but as time moved on requirements and expectations changed so now if i, I think back of my old reactive for java library rx java is like 10 times better now whoa this is this is very interesting i never knew you initially did your own implementation of rx for jvm and that you only then contacted with netflix about that yeah i admit i didn't really advertise it as rx java got advertised but, but by it was netflix. it was open source too right yeah it, it was open source as well but uh, i i like to think that it was ahead of its time Maybe the time Netflix saw the need for a reactive programming library was the time for other companies and other users to, to do this paradigm shift and move to the reactive landscape. So my perspective is that, that Rx Java is a, a okay, okay library, a good library that allows you to basically do data flow programming. If, if you have computer science background, then you might have heard data flow networks, data flow programming previously. But uh, until Eric Meyer and, and Microsoft and the Rx.net came out, the solutions to handle these asynchronous and sometimes synchronous data flows that can be assembled and composed easily wasn't really available. Right, right. Yeah, this is true. So... <laughs> I'm still shocked because, you know, I've watched a lot of presentations about RxJava, I mean, talks from Netflix, mostly from Ben Christensen, and he he never said that somebody did already pretty solid implementation of Rx for JVM, but I, I really saw that RxJava that we know today was mostly the first one. Thanks a lot for, for this information. This is really interesting. To be precise, Ben didn't know about my library. He contacted me uh, about four years ago to, in May, April 2012, asked a few questions, but he, as, as he remembers, he was in process of understanding the whole concept, not just my library or, or my library's features, but more like he wanted to be closer to the original rx.net semantics and viewpoints. And because 
of course, he, he was backed by the company. I think it was more reasonable to maybe start from a, a stretch point of view. And of course, at that time, uh, Eric Meyer wasn't or was going to leave Microsoft. So they had direct access to him as the original author and inventor. So they could, from, from scratch, redesign the, the concept, which became largely same, but otherwise lar somewhat different from my library. So he, he did know about it, but decided to start from scratch and start fr from different requirements and uh, outlook than what appeared to be my version. This is very interesting. So how how did you you know how did you know about rx at all i mean you were impressed by Eric Meyer's job and you've tried it at work or just as a hobby why, why you decided to try to port that to jvm so i as i mentioned i work for the hungarian academy of sciences and we are always doing some kind of european or union or, or state research related activities and that, that, at that time, we had a project about a logistics company who had to deal with large amounts of data in a heterogeneous uh, environment. And, and I thought that data flow programming and, of course, Rx.net was kind of a neat match for, for the requirements and, of course, uh, allowed me to do a, a nice implementation of the underlying data flow and data processing required by that project. But the problem is that I am and I was and I am still a Java programmer and, of course, Rx.net, there was no Java version of it. So I took the initiative and, uh, and ported it, basically. But I must say at that, at that time in 2011, rx.net was a closed source library. So I had no access to the source code. I didn't disassemble it or reverse engineer it. All I could do is watch the videos of Eric Meyer and, and basically play with rx.net to observe its behavior. So reactive for Java is a, basically a clean room implementation was implementation. Rx Java, on the other hand, was born after Rx.net was open source. So, so in, a, in, a, in an early days, in early months, if you look at the source code, it's pretty much a carbon copy of the Rx.net with sm small modifications that the Java platform required. So, so they, uh, uh, Rx Java, when they, it came out in 2013, then it, the source code was available. Uh, it was open sourced in two late 2012, if I remember correctly. But way after I finished practically working on my own library. As I mentioned, nobody really cared it. The project ended. It had, had some, it had the required features. And I saw that reactive programming won't be a big thing on, on the JVM. So interestingly, I believe that the, the fact that reactive programming on the JVM is so broadly available today is mainly due to the Android folks. Yeah, they, probably, they, probably. they desperately needed a library that makes uh, concurrency parallelism much easier than the tools available in, in the Android platform itself. So thanks, guys. Oh, thank you. I mean, thousands of thanks for for all core developers and mostly for you too. I mean, Rx Java solves a lot of concurrency problems for 
you know, not only Android. I use it on some backend stuffs and just regular apps I write. But yeah, this this is awesome concept. I, I love it. What is your role in current Rx Java development? Because from my point of view, I'm actively, you know, following the repository and trying to contribute a little bit. But from my point of view, you do almost everything except, you know, build tools updates like Gradle and a continuous integration setup and just pushing a release button, even though you uh, last last several releases, you were the author of of the changelog and so on. So are you a main developer of RxJava and how do you communicate with Netflix team or maybe directly or just on GitHub like we all do? Okay, so I'm a contributor, which in GitHub terms means that I have extended rights. I can merge pull requests, I can edit issues and posts. So it, 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 on one hand, is a, it's an enhanced tool that I, I can mess with practically many things. Unfortunately, I don't have the right to make a release because you, you have a release button on GitHub, but the wiring is uh, a bit different. You need to publish the library to Maven and update the Javadoc and so on. So those are done by Gradle and background tasks. I, I'm not very proficient with Gradle. So on one hand, I'm happy I don't have to handle Gradle in, in this aspect. On the other hand, I, I'm sometimes a bit sad that I there isn't an easy button to press and release and all those automatic. However, I, I hear that uh, actually Netflix has this button <laughs> and they press it occasionally. So I, I have rights, but uh, at the same time, there are roadblocks. Some, some technical roadblocks and some, let's say, political roadblocks. Right, right. I'm trying to understand current, you know, situation with Rx Java development because looks like actually the only, you know, active contributor is you. I mean, from the collaborators on the GitHub project. And mostly Netflix does only releases in past something like eight months since Ben left Netflix. D did you talk about this with Netflix or not? Because it it looks like a little bit stagnation, and my fellow developer from Uber he opened an issue about that, and we discussed that, and looks like Netflix, you know, still active and so on. But as as a watcher of the repository, I I still don't see contributions from Netflix. So at the beginning, there were like twenty developers doing all sorts of stuff very talented developers. One of them is still uh, uh, independent uh, contributors like the ZSX Wing. You might have saw his posts. He, he does mostly review, but back in the early days, he did quite a, a lot of operators. Yeah, I saw him. He, he, he working on Scala. Yeah, he does some non-Java level work. So Yes, if if you follow the anybody who follows and actually looks at who is committing the stuff to Rx server, yes, I'm statistically at the top. So I did a statistical evaluation of all the posts, and uh, as of today, if you if we consider Rx Java one, practically 
the the community did 65% of, of the code, including tests. And from the total, approximately 50%. So half of was mine contribution to this project. So I believe this, this, this statistics is quite unique among those open source projects which, which were initiated by the company and half of it wasn't written by that company. Maybe there are other projects, but I, what I see in other open source projects is that they have a fair, fairly distributed and even contribution amount. So, so yes, lately it seems that I, I became the, the main developer, so to speak. Basically, I do most of the bug fixing, performance enhancements, sometimes the, the, the API enhancements, but you did your own share of this lately with, with all those operators all around. And what I do is I, I'm practically maintaining the project at, at this moment. Occasionally, you could see, see comments from Netflix, like two or three days after the pull request was merged, they approve it. So, <laughs> okay, so, so I shouldn't be harsh on them because they are a company and they have, have probably other priorities. Although most of the tasks aren't that complex from my perspective, but, but I spend a lot of time and I have a lot of expertise. So reviewing a, a pull request that has an operator that does backfresh is a relatively easy task for me, but could be a difficult task for, for Netflix personnel. And I, I don't mind it. So, so they have their own job. But uh, I would like to have more liberty, and especially uh, we go back to the release button. I, I wish we could release more often, because if you, you might know as well, before 1.1.0, it took like three months to get the, the new release out. Yeah. But the, the, it had to be done because there were lots of lots of bugs accumulating and when a bug comes out I, I basically immediately fix it but then you have to wait months to get it released now it seems uh, folks have found other techniques uh, I saw that this jetpack IO you can target an open source library and it does some merging and combining for you so you don't have to wait until the maven release happens so there seems to be workaround for this. Maybe people check out the code, apply the, the fixes themselves, and just run with a local jar file. I, I don't really know. Mm -hmm. So And the, the final part you asked, that uh, unfortunately, Netflix doesn't communicate with me in any, other, any channel. So all the communication you can see between me and Netflix is that public communications you see in the comments on the site. So no, no back-channel communication. They don't tell me their plans. So all I can do is just infer from their behavior what they want and so on. Got it, got it. So do you currently use RxJava at work? How active and, I mean, maybe your teammates use RxJava too? Surprisingly, my company doesn't really know about uh, RxJava and my work in it. It's, it's, I don't keep it a secret, but uh, it seems that uh, the company, this is an academic uh, company, so 
we focus on minimal research on one part and uh, sometimes development for industrial partners. We haven't reached the point, aren't really that mobile or cloud vendors or, or developers that would facilitate the use of RxJava. So in, in, in globally, we don't really use RxJava. I have some projects where I use a re really tiny part of RxJava, mainly the published subject to notify uh, events between screens instead of the classical ad listener and, and call and use some of the scheduler infrastructure but I, I don't have those long flat map and observe one and all those kinds of the fancy data flow that you can find in most questions. This is this is, um, I don't know, it's blowing my mind because main developer of RxJava don't use RxJava a lot at work. At the same time, Netflix, at least they say that they use it a lot, but they do not contribute a lot. And also the community uses RxJava a lot and contribute not a lot too. This is, this is hilarious situation to me. <laughs> but yeah, this is reality looks like. Yeah, and I pay for Netflix as well. <laughs> oh, so uh, I believe that uh, this unique situation that I personally don't use that RxJava that much other than experimenting and fixing and whatnot, uh, it, it gives a, a different perspective, maybe a unique perspective that I don't have certain biases like a company. So if we, we go back a little bit uh, to why Netflix is so seemingly inactive. I would think that when RxJava reached the 1.14 version, that was the, that point in time when, when the frequency changed drastically in, in, the, in the updates from Netflix. I would believe that at that time, RxJava reached a functional complete state from their perspective. And so RxJava does what they need to do and all extra is just uh, second, I believe, secondary priority for them now. Yeah, probably. That that actually makes sense because I'd say that, yeah, you're right, release 1.0.14 was, was almost perfect from terms of features. I'd say that single and completable were required, but not that much. So yeah, observable was pretty much feature complete at this time. Okay, David, so uh, we have some questions from listeners and from me. I, I've tried to give them some kind of logical order, but I gave up, so <laughs> please, sorry me for that. Let's let's begin from some of them. We now know what is RxJava, also there is Rx.net and some other Rx implementations, but what is Reactive Streams? I'm not sure I understand it completely, and... As far as I know, it's initiative from the Netflix too. Can you please explain what it is? Okay, so I categorize these reactive programming libraries by generations. So the zeroth generation is basically what you will find in Java Util Observable, the, the original gang of four observable pattern. Of course, they're incarnations of basically almost all callback-based APIs. You can find this. You can consider it as a zero-generation reactive library. The first generation was basically the Rx.net, and you could consider early versions of Rx Java as well. The, the second generation, when when 
three major features were added. The back pressure for one on hand, the, the operator lift that makes uh, writing operators more convenient and the ability to synchronously cancel some observable sequences. The third generation is where the reactive streams comes in. Reactive streams is that in, uh, I think in 2014, multiple engineers from different companies set aside their differences. These companies, I believe, included Netflix, Pivotal, Slash Spring, and, and uh, TypeSafe, no light band. And they wanted to define the minimum set of components and requirements to have a reactive foundation that allows back pressure cancellation with a minimum set of uh, corner cases as, as possible. So this became the Reactive Streams Initiative. Its main result are four Java interfaces. This was mainly developed for the JVM environment, but the, the concept naturally translates to other kinds of programming languages, not on the JVM, such as it can be ported back to Rx.net. And it resulted in, in around 30 rules for those interfaces and the methods of the interfaces. So it is, a, it is meant to be the, the third generation reactive programming foundation that allows basically any vendor to have a consistent API and constraints and protocols so they can implement reactive library their, with their own trade-offs and still interoperate between the various implementations. So in theory, that means that Rx Java can work with Project Reactor and then the result can be combined with the Aka actor streams. And of course, you can include other libraries and go back and forth as you will. Everything composes together cancellation, back pressure, synchronicity, and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of standard, right, with, with probably TCK? Yes, it, it, it is meant to be the, the standard for reactive programming libraries, a foundation, but you should know that these four interfaces are really bare-bone and not really for consumption by, by general programmers. It is more like aimed at library programmers as myself and the other guys. So it has a test compatibility kit. You, you can write your own operators and, of course, test them against it. However, I must add that as, as many software project these has some, some, some issues, which turned out after one actually tried to write a library based on the reactive stream specification. So maybe, maybe the, there is a, the project reactor team who knows more about the quirks of the TCK, but it's, it's a start. Of course, we can work it out and release 1.1, 1.2 of the reactive theme specification later on. But as for now, the, the, the core interfaces themselves, if you forget the rules for now, just the, the four interfaces and the, the seven methods it contains are, are just quite enough to, to build a reactive library upon it, which happened, of course. So for the listener, TCK is test compatibility kit, which usually if you have some specification, you know, uh, something like definition of the system you want to implement, you also may have some 
test compatibility kit, which may be applied to any implementation of that specification to check that it, um, you know, it implements it correctly. Usually something like JVM or some parts of Java runtime environment has some specification parts and TCKs. And so different vendors can, you know, implement JVM, for example, differently, and then check that their implementation is good enough via TCK. So uh, who, who is maintaining the reactive streams at the moment? This is a set of companies, right? More like engineers from different companies. So currently, the, the main lead is Victor Klang. If you look at the site, uh, Stefan Maldini is also very active on, on the specification side. And of course, Ben Christensen was involved heavily. It came out a year ago. So now we have a bunch of beta libraries that target uh, reactive streams specifically. We have uh, converters, uh, RxJava reactive streams converter to, to make it uh, work with RxJava 1 because this reactive stream specification uh, requires a different architecture than RxJava has now. What about RxJava version 2? Will it target reactive streams or not? Yes, uh, RxJava 2 was uh, basically implemented by me. It is available as a developer preview, and it's kind of convoluted to get it to download via Maven. But the main aim was to have a completely reactive streams compliant and supporting library. So all those features you have now in RxJava 1, all those operators, they are practically rewritten from scratch for version 2. and in natively supporting uh, the reactive streams APIs. What, what does it mean for current users of RxJava? I mean, should we know about, uh, learn about reactive streams or this is only for, mostly for library maintainers? So if, if you are basically a very end user of RxJava, that means that the most thing you knew up is, is the subscriber that listens to your events and values. You don't have really much to change. The, the package names will change. Maybe some class names, the, the, the main class observable might be renamed to something else. It is not yet decided. But from that perspective, the same operators, the same chain will remain just a small changes in, in class names and packaging and the, the, the subscriber, and that's it. However, if you are operator writer, if you, so basically if you use the observable create, observable lift, then you are in a, you are in a bit of a trouble. You, you have to, to know about the reactive streams API. And of course, the additions that uh, the, the RxJava 2 will impose on, on such implementation. So in that case, it, it is a bit difficult, maybe 50% more difficult to write an operator for the reactive streams version than for writing the operator for the current version of RxJava. So that said, you, you might also know that writing an operator properly for current version of Java is also not an easy task. Oh yeah. Okay, thanks a lot for this explanation. The next thing I wanted to ask you is JDK 9 will have own reactive implementation. It's called Flow API. 
I'm totally not a fan of putting this thing into the JDK for several reasons, but what is your opinion about that? And how does it relate to reactive streams and other technologies? Okay, so I have a mixed feeling about this. I, I'm, I'm happy that uh, the, the, the Java language itself receives this, this kind of reactive streams and reactive programming support. And having, having a, a, a standard interface set might enable later on inside the JDK itself to, to extend the reactive programming paradigm to other components, such as the NIO subsystem or, or the graphics subsystem or any other component. But the, the first step is, of course, to have a standard set of interfaces to begin with. That being said, I'm also not too happy about the inclusion for two reasons. If you know R the Rx.net history, then you might remember that from one of the versions of the, the .NET platform, the, the, this reactive programming has been included in terms of two interfaces into the core language. However, it later turned out that you might get problems, namely the back pressure problem that needs a completely different structure and architecture to solve. And thus, thus in the current version of Rx.net, you have a really old and really unchangeable set of interfaces to deal with or, or to use as a, a base for, for reactive programming. Whereas the, in, in the upcoming Flow version, at least it started off just after the reactive stream specification completed. And basically what you have in, in the JDK 9 currently available for experimentation as well, is, is a copy of the reactive stream specification and, and the interfaces, but under a different package name. This is un unfortunate because when you have the outside reactive libraries and the inside reactive libraries, they really can't directly talk to each other and you need some kind of wrappers to convert back and forth between them. So. I, I have mixed feelings. It, 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 from some sense, it is acceptable and expected, and I'm, I'm glad it didn't happen in, in Java 8 frame because then it would just look like what and end up in a corner just like Rx.net. On the other hand, I, I hear that uh, the reactive streams folk try to convince Doug Lee to retain the original package name. So you don't have to recompile or create two versions or wrappers to make sure libraries can communicate through within and outside the, the Java core language. Mm -hmm. I don't like inclusion of reactive APIs to the JDK mostly because, you know, mostly because you cannot uh, rely on updates for it because each release of RxJava and RxJava itself shown that um, such complex and general purpose library is very hard to develop and you will always have some, you know, performance problems, API problems, which fortunately we are able to, you know, to fix and solve in RxJava because it's not a part of JDK. We can update it and some app may include new version and so on without depending on some, you know, specific Java runtime environment version. With inclusion of Flow API to the JDK, 
Imagine you have a performance problem with some operator. So what we will do now, you will now have to wait probably for Java runtime environment update, but probably even for next release, because it, it if it will be some kind of breaking change, they are not able to introduce it between, you know, not, um, not main releases like eight or nine or 10 or something. Th this is my concern. So to be clear, the the flow API in JDK nine is just a set of four interfaces. There won't be any fluent API like Rx Java, and they specifically Douglas specifically mentioned that he didn't like any of the fluent API libraries anyway. But uh, this inclusion of only interfaces and may, maybe a helper class, the submission publisher have some small bridges between the original world and the reactive world. These, these, are, these are interfaces on a solid basis of the reactive string specification. And uh, us experts think that uh, it is solid enough to remain in this form for, for a very long time. No. So from, from this perspective, you have just four interfaces and you can build your own Fluent library and release any, as frequently as you wish your Fluent library, but the foundation is just four interfaces. Okay, th thank you very much for this explanation because I saw that they will include some implementation of that too into the JDK, but now it makes sense to me. Okay, it's... It totally makes sense now. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Actually, the next question was Rx Java and Flow API friends or enemies, but looks like it's now friends, right? Because it's just specification with implementation, right? Yes, and I happen to have a conversion of the the Rx Java two library to to the the JDK Flow API among one of my projects on GitHub. Unfortunately, I have a little bit of problem with the JDK nine because the because of the introduction of the module system, which looks great but breaks almost all tools we we rely on. For example, Gradle. So uh, all I could do is get some experimental Eclipse version to get the JDK 9 version to run and compile and manually package up a jar file that is practically a JDK 9 flow compliant version of Rx Java 2. If Rx Java version 2 will implement flow API, does it mean that we won't have Rx Java 2 on Android directly? Or since you're a main developer at the moment, what are your plans about supporting Android? I I saw that you mostly you're on the side of Android, so you want to introduce Rx Java version two for Java six, right? What what are your thoughts about that? Frankly, I, I would have liked to have Rx Java two as a JDK eight plus library, but uh, Netflix decided, uh, and and I can accept it that still Android forks are are the important target, one of the important targets of, of Rx Java. So version two has to be Android and thus JDK six compatible. So what you now can find on the GitHub page is a completely backported version of, of my earlier ports on and implementation that should run on Android as the same way as, as RxJava1 does now. So in, in that respect, 
you have your support. The question to support uh, the JDK 9 flow in some sense might come up. Maybe we, we will have an automated tool or, or method to basically replace some package names and class names and have automatically uh, a JDK 6 version and a JDK 9 version. And of course, you can do it to support, do it on reactive streams basis or flow basis without practically any additional development. I, I'm glad to hear that you want to support Android. That's, that means a lot. If you allow me a small complaint about the Android, so there is always the fear that if there is some platform quirk, it could uh, slip into the library. One example is the trouble with some Android devices from a specific manufacturer where some parts don't work, be probably related to some reflection anomaly. So to mitigate it, we had to convert all of reflection-based uh, atomics to the classical instance-based atomic integer, atomic reference, and so on, which was kind of a tedious operation. So I hope that now that Google announced that they will switch to OpenJDK 8, could will and try to follow Java more closely, then eventually Eric's Java and of course other libraries can default themselves on Java 8 API level. Yeah, hopefully. But at the same time, we have to, you know, support the platform version that has a lot of users. So it will be at least Java 7, I believe. But yeah, yeah. The, the problem with reflection-based access, it's not about, you know, it's not about JDK on Android. It's about manufacturers because they may introduce their own changes to JDK and the virtual machine on Android. And I believe that problem was Samsung-specific optimization in their virtual machine version of Android runtime. So it's kind of mess in Android, yeah. I still don't think that it was a good idea to to fix that in library because it's a device problem. It should not be, um, you know, we should not change all libraries in the world to fix problem of one device or something like this. It's kind of <laughs> just incorrect. Yeah, so it affected a, a big name user of the library. Uh, I think it was New York Times who first reported the issue. And of course, they have a mobile app and uh, thousands of users who are affected. So it has some costs. It, it happened. And of course, when the decision was made to have Rx Java to support JDK 6, I had to manually redo all those conversions again. But it works. It's a matter of decision. We benefit from a wider audience. Yeah. So we have some, you know, more technical questions. But I'm putting a breakpoint here because after recording of this episode, I've made a poll in Twitter. Should I release this episode as observable from two parts of the record or as single just one record? And 60% of you voted for observable. So I'm dividing this episode into two parts. In second part, David will answer more technical questions about usage of RxJava in different cases. So I'll definitely recommend to listen to that part too. Hopefully you've noticed that sound in this episode is much better than in previous two. 
This is because I finally bought a new microphone and pop filter and got better in post-production editing. But I wouldn't be myself if I wouldn't do something wrong. So whole recording of this episode, I was talking to backside of the microphone and only after recording I've noticed that little thing on the microphone that says that it's back part. Lol. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening. Now you know past and future of reactivity in the JVM world that you won't hear on regular talks about React extensions. I'll try to release second part of this episode soon, so stay tuned and thank you for listening.